uh, four children, as many of you would know, and if I haven't met you before, uh, that's me, four children. I had one little, my little one running around here uh, at the front. She's gone now because she'll definitely distract uh, from this sermon. Uh, so my oldest, Aurora, is, uh, is 11. Uh, then I've got Eva, who's eight, Jed, who's five, and uh, then Nova, who is 18 months old. And uh, so three girls and one boy. And uh, this week we had, as I'm sure some of you may have had if you've got small children, or maybe even if you're a grandparent, there might have been a grandparent's day, but uh, Kinder had a Father's Day. Okay, so you bring your dad in. So Jed, my little uh, five-year-old, he's in kinder, preschool, start prep next year, and uh, it was bring your dad to kinder day. And uh, so it was very, very exciting, and he was excited. He was over the moon. So usually kinder, you get to go in and uh, spend a bit of time with them at the start of every day at the kinder that my kids go to. But since COVID, they don't let parents in anymore. So you just drop them at the door and they go in. So this was the first time this year that I was able to actually go into Jed's kinder. We had a whole two-hour night together with all the parents there. And uh, so we arrived, we're a little bit late. Uh, so we're one of the last, uh, I was one of the last dads to get there. And we walked in and every dad had a pizza box uh, to ha- eat with their son or daughter there. And uh, so we walked up to the table and the kinder teacher was there to get our pizza box. And all the dads were kind of sitting on the different rugs and things, concrete outside, eating their pizza with their son or daughter. And we walked up to get our pizza box. Oh, it's Caleb and Jedediah Nichols and the teacher gave us over our box. And while she was handing over the box, Jed, in his loudest voice, puffed out his chest and looked at the kinder teacher and said, my dad is the leader of the church. <laughs> and the kinder lady, the kinder teacher was kind of like, oh, ah. Yes, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and all the other dads kind of turned around slowly. I'm <laughs> like, great, there's a cult leader here. It's like the Scientology church, or you like mates with Tom Cruise, or is this the children of God, or the, the Mansons, or what's going on here? The leader of the church is here. And he was just so proud of me, and I was caught in that. You know, you get in those weird parent moments. Do you correct your child because you're embarrassed? (laughs) Or do you uh, just let it go? And it's it's true, I'm the leader of the church, but like, I'm I'm a pastor, that's my job. And, you know, but everyone else just hears weird, super weird. (laughs) So that was my Father's Day experience this this week. So you've got to love kids how honest they are. And he was was just uh, proud as you like. So there's nothing wrong with that. But I want to ask a few dads today. That's why I've got this microphone. What do you think makes the perfect father? What does make the perfect dad? What, what about you, Phil? What do you reckon makes the perfect dad? Um, unconditional love. Oh, that is a good answer. Are you a father? Oh, no, you're not a father. <laughs> you, you just got married. What about Owen? Owen's been with us for a few years here in the church. What do you think makes the perfect dad? I'm not going to give you the mic, but... Unconditional love? Oh, no, you need a better... <laughs> Typical dad move, just copy what the last guy says. Uh, right, you're sacked. What about Lee, my father-in-law? What do you think makes the perfect dad, Lee? Well, that's a good one. Um, I just being there for them. Oh, that's a good answer. Very good. I can tell you, Lee has done that for a long time. He's five children, four sons and one daughter. What do you think, Mike? Now, this is a Hawthorne supporter, so you have to forgive, forgive him. But uh, what do you reckon, Mike? You've got two daughters, Mike and... Uh, Ruth has been in the church for over 20 years, amazing. What do you think makes a perfect dad? Just being there for them, loving yeah. them. Loving them, 
great being there for them. All right, we need some more creativity here. We're going to have to rely on Alex. Oh, look at this. Alex has brought his uh, lunch with him today. This is a dad move. I get starving as well, but the problem is I'm preaching. Do you think I could have a snack box as I'm speaking up the front on a Sunday morning? Oh, I won't. It'll wreck my voice. Uh, what the, makes the perfect dad, do you reckon? Being prepared with food helps. Yes. <laughs> Preparation. Anything else? Oh, this is a good answer. It's definitely love being there, being yourself, and just being available for them, I think. Being available? Yeah, it's good. I really like it. I really like it. What about you, John? John is a very wise man. What do you think makes the perfect dad, John? Good dad jokes. Oh, good dad joke. Was that a dad joke? <laughs> oh, oh, dad jokes, man. My life group's full of dads, and man, the comedy levels are, uh, yeah, questionable, questionable at the best. We might even be getting some grandfather jokes that uh, they're so bad. I think, I think every dad wants to be the perfect dad, but every dad knows at some level that they're not the perfect dad. You know, it's the, it's, the, it's the struggle, isn't it, that any parent goes through. We all go through in our life. We want to be a great person, want to be a great parent. Uh, our motivations are to be good at what we do, good at our job, uh, good at being a friend. We want to be good at all the things uh, that we do in life. And when you have a child, you know there's a lot on the line. There's this little human being who's going to, whether you like it or not, they're going to get molded, they're going to get shaped by the way that you are, by the way that you live, through what you believe, through what you do. And that's a big challenge. But everyone's, I'm sure, humble enough to know that they're not perfect and they don't always get things right. We do kind of have this 24-7 feedback loop, don't we, that tells us that we don't get things right. It's called a wife. No, no, I'm just kidding. It's not, called a, it's not a wife. It's not a wife. It's a mother-in-law. No, no, it's not that either. It's not that either. It's our conscience, maybe. Maybe that's, that's safer, okay? Last week, I was um, getting into bed and reviewing the day a little bit, and I was a bit annoyed at myself. It's another story about Jed. So Jed can be stubborn, like most five-year-old boys, and really difficult at times. And we had the situation where he'd been inside for hours watching tally, and I wanted him to come outside with Nova and just take them on a little walk, maybe just around the court. Nothing too dramatic. Just get outside, get a little bit of fresh air. And he was like digging his heels in. I want to watch like the fourth hour of YouTube now. <laughs> I was like, come on, mate, we're going to go outside and get some fresh air. And he really dug his heels in. Now, I handled this situation really well initially. I was gracious. I was loving. I got down on one knee. I did all the parenting things right, talked him through it, gave him the two options. Okay, that's what you do as a good parent. One option is you stay inside you get a smack and you go to your room and that's staying inside. The other option is you come outside, daddy's happy, you're happy, we're all happy. Which option do you want? And now uh, he had a third option. So, <laughs> And he really dug his heel. But I had, eventually I got him outside in the garage, shoes on, everything. We're ready to go. I was about to push Nova on a little bike out to the garage and he runs back inside and hides. And the gracious good parenting just went out the window for a minute. I was, I was livid. So I stomped back inside, eventually found him, grabbed him by the arm, probably a little bit too hard, and a little whack on the backside, probably a little bit too aggressive, and pushed him towards the garage door, probably not very uh, fatherly and uh, 
not in a good way. And I was sitting there that night reflecting on that, just going, that wasn't a great parenting moment. It started well. My frustration got the better of me. I got a bit aggressive, pushed him. I'm a giant 95 kilo man pushing around a little 20 kilo boy. That isn't the kind of father that I want to be. That isn't setting a good example. It's not using my strength of voice, strength of muscular strength, strength of power as a father over my son in the right way. And that's not the kind of dad that I want to be. But as Pastor Pete mentioned this morning, there is uh, a perfect father in heaven. And I do strive as much as I can not to try and be myself when it comes to being a father so much because I tend to make mistakes but I do try to look at God and read the Bible to look at how God the perfect father treats us because every person is a son a daughter to God and he treats us in a certain way and he talks to us in a certain way and he handles us our stubbornness our immaturity our humanity he handles us in a particular way and the Bible really lays that out for us and uh, there is no better way that we see God's love for us and that he sent his son to us, his sons and daughters, the human race. Now I appreciate today as we talk about dads and we focus on Father's Day, that Father's Day can be a difficult day for a lot of people. A lot of people haven't had an awesome experience with their dad. Um, A lot of people maybe had, had a poor father, had problems with their parents, maybe had problems with their parents right now. Maybe you were a good dad, but you had problems with your children and they grew up in a way that you didn't, didn't raise them. And that can be really disappointing. Maybe you've lost dad recently. Maybe you lost dad uh, too early. Um, maybe you're not a parent or a dad and that's fine because uh, what we're going to talk about today goes beyond just being a dad. Uh, but I appreciate that for some that uh, the, father of, uh, the, the topic of fatherhood can be difficult and can be challenging. But I really encourage you, God, in his wisdom, out of all the names that he could have displayed, or of all the things he could have called himself, out of all the ways that he could have shown us his character, that God is a father, or that God is a parent, if you like. God is a parent, or God is a father, is kind of at the top of the pile. Out of all the names for God and the descriptions of who God is, father is the ultimate name. So even if the idea of father or dad may bring up challenges for you, I really encourage you to do everything you can to work through that. Because to see God as a father, as a real father, as a perfect father that no earthly father can match up to, is well worth the journey. Because God as dad will never let you down. And and this story about the prodigal son Uh, demonstrates the love of the Father so well. So it starts in Luke chapter 15, so Luke's gospel. There's four stories about Jesus, the good news, that's what gospel is. And this is Luke, the Gentile. Luke, so he's not a Jew, he's a Gentile. Uh, He's a Greek, and he gives gives his version of the events of Jesus written 2,000 years ago. And in the 15th chapter, verse 11, he says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons, okay, two sons. I don't want to picture yourself today as one of these sons or as one of these daughters, if you like. It's not, gender doesn't matter in this story, but it's about being a child relating to a father. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. 
far away, got away from the family home. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. Now, maybe you identify a little bit with this kind of son. You're either going to identify with this son today or the older brother son that I'm going to tell you about in a moment. This son is a bit of the bad boy. He's the one that likes to break the rules. Are there any kind of rule breakers out there that don't love rules, libertarians, you know, you like to push the boundaries a little bit? This is this son. He's a bit of a naughty boy, okay? He loves chasing a good time. He loves a good experience. He's a bit maybe anti-authorities, an individual, you know, he just wants to do what he wants to do. That, that's this son. And some of you might identify with him a little bit. About the time, verse 14, about this time, his money ran out and a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding, the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. Verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired hand. Let me pause there for a moment. Let's talk a little bit more about this son, this kind of person. Because we all relate to God in one of two ways. We relate to God either like this son, he's a bit, he's a bit lawless. I've got a little table here for you that will show you a little bit about him. He's a bit lawless. Uh, just the next slide. He's a bit lawless. He's a bit of a bad boy. He's a bit selfish, okay? Now, this son, this brother, sees people as boring. He's about having a good time. He's about pushing the boundaries. He's about being the life of the party. And when it comes to the world, when it comes to living life, he's a bit of a relativist, or he believes in relativism. You do you. You do what feels good. Follow your gut, follow your heart. Live your life. Don't let anybody say no to you. When it comes to Christianity, when it comes to the Christian faith, he really sees the side of God and the side of the Christian faith that is grace. He loves that part of God. God is full of love and compassion and grace. He's not that interested in the works side, the effort side, the, the, the fact that as a Christian, you're meant to grow up and move away from selfishness and sin and vices, and you're meant to mature in your walk and become fruitful and follow the truth. You know, he has lots of opinions about the truth. He has lots of opinions about the way that people should live and that people should do things. For him, it's not so black and white as maybe we're going to hear about with the big brother. So therefore, he forgets a little bit about God's holiness. If God, the Father in heaven, is a holy God, that means that to him, sin, selfishness is horrible. It offends God. God is a holy God who wants things to be right and morally good, but that doesn't really fit in with the naughty guy, the bad boy. That's not really what, what he is all about. Now, this son in the story, because of this attitude and way of living, it's got him into some trouble. Sometimes bad boys get into trouble, but they always think that they can get out of trouble. They can always push the line a little bit, but they'll always be able to save the day. They're quick of wit, 
They always have a solution. They'll get out of trouble. But sometimes, and if you're out there, you're a bit of a naughty girl, naughty boy, you know that sometimes eventually yourself catches up with you and your way of living can catch up with you. Eventually, you don't get away with it. So let's look at verse 19 now. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy of being called a son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So let the party begin. You see, our father in heaven, the perfect dad, always comes first and foremost with love. Deep love, unconditional love and compassion. The son, the lawless son, the bad boy son, turns here to his insecurity, his shame. I've ended up in a pig pen. I'm starving. I couldn't do it on my own dad. And he comes to his dad humbly saying, just let me be a servant. I know being your son, being an honorable son in this family, it's over. I can't be that anymore. And lots of us approach God like that, don't we? It's like, man, I'm rotten, God. I've messed up again. I'm sinning. I'm doing the wrong thing. Like, really? Like the grace thing and and, and the unconditional love thing, God? Surely that can't be true. I'm too rotten. I'm too gross. I'm too, I've done it this time, surely. But that, incredibly, is never true. You may have experienced a lack of grace from family, from friends, but you will never, ever experience that from God. Even this son's plan to fix the mess, to get out of trouble. Well, I can't be a son, but maybe I could be a servant. You see, the bad boy always has a solution, a way to move forward. But his plan to fix the situation, the father is not interested in. The father's not interested in a probationary period. The father's not interested in a, hey, you go have a 10-minute time out over there. You have been a naughty boy, got in a pig pen, spent all my money, wasted your wealth, wasted your life, wasted your potential. No, the perfect father in heaven, he's not interested in probationary periods. He is full acceptance, 100% acceptance, despite the sin, despite the harm, despite the mess. He's totally unconditional, means God is without conditions. Who you are, what you've done, the thoughts that go through your head, the motives that are wrong in your heart, the brokenness that comes out in your life, the brokenness in your own heart that's going to mess your kids up. I can guarantee you, you're going to mess your kids up because you're broken and they're going to grow up broken and we live in a broken world, but we have a God that is perfect, that is not broken, that is full of unconditional love. And because this son had walked away and rebelled against God, he's a bit of a rebel, he'd rebelled against God. It was like he was dead. It was like he was just no longer alive. Yeah, he was breathing. <laughs> he's breathing. Biologically, he's alive. But really, he was dead. He was dead to his destiny. This son was dead to a great future. 
This son was, it was like he was dead to the father, not because the father didn't love him. The father was waiting every day at the gate of the home, looking down the road. Every day he was there just waiting for his son to come home. That's why when he saw him, as we just read in the story, far off, he ran to him because he was always waiting, always expectant, always hopeful that his son would come home. But it was like he was dead because the son had taken the money and run away to a distant land to live his own life. You know, sometimes I think of how God would feel about us or feel about Frankston and Casey or feel about Aussies, feel about people. Because this is the heart of God we're hearing this morning. And so many people have taken everything good from God, from Christianity, from church, But most Australians don't even realize that our good life is based on Christian principles that founded this company, which country, sorry, that's given us a good life, that's given us wealth, that's given us great principles. Our Aussie principles are built on Christian values. But we take all the good and we run away to a distant land or we reject God and we're not interested to think about God or where things, the truth may come from or where life has come from or where purpose comes from and we try to do it our own way but we always run out of steam. The father's not interested in lecturing him though. He's just interested in having a party and celebrating that his son has returned. And that's what happens every time that a heart turns to God. Every time that someone says, I think I believe in Jesus and I wanna follow him. It's party time in heaven. God just accepts you in your brokenness, in your filth, in your, all your fragileness and all your issues that you're going through. He just accepts you and loves you. Let's look at the, the older brother. Some of you might more identify with this one. This is probably where I identify a little bit more in my nature. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard the music and the dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go into the house, wouldn't go in to the party. You see, the other way that people relate to God, that human beings relate to God, is a lot more black and white, more like the older brother. You see, this brother was more of a legalist, a moralist. There's a right way to do things. We should just do things the right. Everyone should just do things the right way. He was offended because this is wrong. How can this brother that spent all the family money that has just disappeared for the last few years come home and get a party? He was offended. He was indignant. He didn't play by the rules. He hasn't done the right thing. I've done the right thing. I've been here. I don't get a party. I don't get an honored like this. I don't get a ring on my finger. Maybe you identify with this brother a little bit more. I definitely do. I sowed, I should reap. I did the right thing. Where's the good outcome for me? This person didn't do the right thing, but they get a great outcome. This person never sowed, but they seem to reap and always get benefit. They do it the wrong way and they win. I do it the right way and I feel like I'm losing. This is the other way that humanity relates to God. Now, the father being, remember, accepting of all people welcoming of all sons and daughters, of everyone. He goes out to this son now. 
See, he ran down the road to his other son returning, and in the same way now, he sees the older brother, God, the perfect father, he sees us all. Whether we're stuck in our pride and I didn't get the payoff I deserved, or whether we're stuck in a pig pen and we've just screwed up everything. Let's pick it up here in verse 28. His father came out to the older brother and he begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. Does anyone feel like that about God sometimes? I've served you and I've loved you and I've prayed and everything you've asked I've done. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back, notice he's not a brother anymore, he's this son, your son, comes back after squandering your wealth on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. If your brother was dead and has come back to life, he was lost, but now he is found. You see, the Older brother's the legalist. He's stubborn because it's unfair. The situation is unfair. The older brother's a bit more judgmental. You might identify with this. Where the younger brother sees people as boring, the older brother sees people as stupid. It's like, can't they see they're going to run into a brick wall? Don't you get it? If you live like that, it's always going to end in this kind of way. This is this kind of person. They're a bit of a moralist. It's not about do it anyway or you do you, like the relativism of the younger son. It's about there is a right way. You should do the right thing. Let me put it in COVID terms for you. There were some people saying, wear your mask and stay at home so everyone's safe. The moralist. <laughs> then there was the relativist, which was like, we should be out. There should be no rules. We should be able to do what we want and this will all blow over and we, no one should tell us what to do. See, we all see the world in a different way. We all think we're right in our own way. The big brother sees Christianity, sees more about the works and the effort, the performance than he does about the grace. Grace is hard for the, this kind of person to wrap their head around. How can people who do wrong not suffer the consequences? This kind of person, the older brother, is all about, hey, you do the right thing, you get the good consequence, you do the bad thing, well, I told you so. There's not so much empathy there. There's not so much grace, not so much love. And that leads to this older brother or this kind of person forgetting about the love of God. This kind of person does see God as holy and to be worshipped and to be respected and to live in God's way. But they kind of forget about God's love and God's generosity and God's grace that God would never let anyone miss out. You see, this is the perfect father that we're hearing about today. He loves both the lawless and the legalist. He's okay with relativism and moralism. He tries to bring you both into the party. All people are invited into the father's house. This is God's heart. God is all about grace and unconditional love for anyone who needs it, but he's all about works as well. He wants people to grow. He wants people to change. He wants people to do great things, to use their hands, to go out into the world and do great things for God, to serve and to lay down and to work and to live out of destiny. God's all about that too. God is holy. He's perfect. But God is all loving and gracious, even to the point that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross. You see, the perfect dad has been found. 
The search is over, everyone. The perfect father has been found. He's our father in heaven. This father is the father that we can model ourselves on. If you're a dad, if you're a mum, a grandparent, if you're a boss, if you're a leader, if you have any influence at all, you can take this dad acronym here and model yourself on this. This is God's nature. He is full of deep love and compassion. God doesn't meet people with truth, although he is the way, the truth, and the life. God meets people first with love and compassion. People don't change without first experiencing love and acceptance, and then change can occur. God is all about the truth, but the truth must come within a blanket of love and acceptance. God, A, accepts all people, accepts the moralists, the legalist, the one who does things black and white in the right way, he's okay with you. you maybe you're a little stiff. Maybe you're a little about the rules. Maybe you think you see it the right way. And what are these stupid people just line up? But he accepts you. He accepts you. Even though you're a bit stiff, it's okay. But he accepts the bad boys, the bad girls, the naughty ones, the ones who push the line a bit, the ones who do it their own way a bit, the individuals. It's okay. He accepts you all. He has a place in his house for all of you. And this is my favorite one, the last one about God. And if you can grow in your role as a mom or a dad, as a boss, a friend, you too can experience what it is to be the kind of person that when people hang around you, that the kids you raise in your home, the dead things tend to come alive. You see, if this father had not waited at the gate watching out for his son, the prodigal son would have never had the chance to come back to life. Because where does he go? If the dad had got cut to the heart and so hurt, so hurt when his son ran away and took his money, you may have had a child like this before. Or you may be worried that one of your children is on this path. <laughs> I know all parents worry about that. Oh man, that second one, they're going to run away and do their own thing. But if you pack up shop and disappear, sell the family home, metaphorically, I'm not telling you not to sell your home or to sell your home, okay? But if you disappear, where does that son come home to? Where does that dead child come back to? This is what's so great about God. He's always there. The perfect father, he's always watching. He's always waiting. You might have missed six months of church, but the first day you come back and raise your hands in worship, there is God loving you, meeting you, wanting to know you. He doesn't care. He just wants to know you. He just wants to be with you. He is so full of love and compassion. I've seen so many Christian parents disappointed, frustrated at their children's decisions, but they keep following Jesus. They keep going on with God. They stay. They remain. And when people remain following God and following Jesus, it gives other people a chance to come back. It gives other people something to come back to. It lets people that are dead to God come back to life. It lets people that are dead to destiny come back and find a great future in God. So God is deep in love and compassion. Grow this in your life. People will want to be with you. Your children will want to be with you if what they feel from you is, first of all, acceptance and love. The key to great parenting, a little parenting tip here, is to win the heart of your child. 
Don't win their obedience. Don't win their obedience because you're bigger and stronger and can get more frustrated and make them do things. Don't win their good behavior by working things with your adult brain in a way that you can overcome and overpower your child. Win their heart. If you have a relationship with your child, no matter where they go and what they do, they'll always walk back over that bridge of relationship, connect with you, be with you. Yes, they're going to disappoint you. That's guaranteed. Yes, they're going to do things that you don't expect. That's guaranteed. You do things that breaks the heart of God. We all do things. I've done many things that break the heart of God, but I know there's deep love and compassion. And even though I let down God, he never lets me down. And that's the bridge of relationship I can always come back to. Be accepting of all people as God is. Welcome all people. Invite people to church. Invite people to come and sit at your dinner table. Accept all people because acceptance leads to transformation. Inviting people back into the party. See how the father goes out both to the son coming home down the road from the distant land, but he also goes out to the big brother who's stubborn and offended that there's a party going on when he did all the right things. He even goes out to that son. He says, come inside. Come on, come into the party. Accepts everyone in their difficulty. This takes maturity. I know for years and years and years, I've been trying to grow in this area and I've still got a long way to go, but to accept all people, it takes maturity. It takes faith in God. It takes a lot of trust. One day you might even have to accept you, uh, that a younger parents, so your children are still growing up. You may have to accept a child that isn't living a way that you approve of. I'm sure you've all been through situations with friends, workmates. We've got to accept people that you really don't like. But that's why love and compassion must lead and then acceptance can follow. And finally, dead things come to life. 